Indie or AAA? Indie. Free to play or pay to play? Free to play. iOS or Android? iOS. Ads or IAPs? Ads. You're listening to Level Up with Melissa Zalouf. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Level Up, the podcast for people who love making, growing, and of course, playing mobile games. Today on the show, we have Herji Zhu, co-founder at Lucky Cat Studios. Herji, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Melissa. So maybe we can start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to found Lucky Cat Games. You have a great line on your website about taking a leap of faith after understanding the fragility of life and then starting the studio. So how exactly did you kind of come to make this decision? Yeah, yeah. Very happy to talk about that. So yeah, my name is Herji. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Lucky Cats. I basically do all the things that a game developer doesn't do in the studio. So especially <laughs> concerning the uh, commercial side of making games. And uh, we started four years ago and the studio is founded by uh, me and my brother. And four years ago, I had a life-changing event where I was running outside and I suddenly got a cardiac arrest and I woke up in the hospital. So that was pretty heavy, obviously. So I woke up in the hospital and me and my brother started talking about like what we actually wanted to do in life. Mm -hmm. We've always talked about starting a game studio. And so... I was right. Yeah, so we just quit another job at another game studio. So we thought both like the time is right and we should just do, you know, what we always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so therefore we started Lucky Cat. And... uh, Worked out well. Yeah, (laughs) it worked out pretty well, yeah. (laughs) So what's it like to work with your brother? I think it's, it's great to work with my brother because we can be so honest with each other. So obviously that means that you can be really honest with each other. That means a lot of fights but also we can also share the good times right Mm -hmm. and i think that's definitely beneficial for working together and making sure that you do the things you want to do uh, Mm -hmm. being very honest with each other right and i need to ask you about the name lucky cat which didn't come from nowhere can you sort of tell us a little bit about the naming and how you guys came to work with (laughs) a bunch of celebrity internet cats (laughs) that's that's definitely a funny story so the name Lucky Cat actually comes from the fact that we both grew up in a restaurant, in a Chinese restaurant. Our parents, they owned a Chinese restaurant. So we always had this Lucky Cat at the bar and, and we found that a good name because that gives luck. The meaning of Lucky mm-hmm. Cat means obviously luck to the owner. We thought that that's a great name because obviously I had that accident and I'm very lucky to be alive. Therefore, the name mm-hmm. Lucky Cat. And the question about working with celebrity internet cats, our first game that we made is called Non cats and when we were prototyping we thought okay we're gonna make a game with cats so we didn't have any contact with platform uh, for featuring or whatever so we thought okay we need to do our own marketing and we thought okay cats internet cats obviously is a thing on the internet so we need to reach out to the, those celebrity mm-hmm. internet cats and their agents and their agents exactly <laughs> so <laughs> that's a very strange rule by the way sure. so we reached out to these managers of a big celebrity internet cats like uh, grumpy cats uh, neon cat garfield etc but Obviously, they'd never heard about Lucky Cat before. So kind of a big struggle to start working with them. So at a certain point, I found out that there were more uh, celebrity internet cats, smaller celebrity internet cats. And Mm -hmm. they had like Facebook pages, like, for example, uh, Nala Cat. I'm not sure if you uh, ever heard about Nala Cat. No, but I probably will go and check them out now. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely do. Um, So she had, for example, uh, more than 2 million likes on Facebook. And that was at a time like four years ago where like each post you make on a page, you reach all the people right right before the end of organic reach exactly exactly and uh, once we reached out to these kind of celebrity 
the cats, they were more easy to be approached because they were ran by house moms or, <laughs> you know, random people who are not really acting as an agent. Uh-huh. And when they were playing the game, they thought like, oh, this is a really cool concept and we really want to be in the game. So at, at a certain point, we had all these smaller internet cats on board. Uh-huh. And once we had them on board, we also found out that this internet celebrity cat world is a very small world. And uh, therefore, the, the bigger cats knew about this. So when we launched the game, they're like, oh, we also want to be on board. So that's how we got the bigger cats on board, like Grumpy Cats, uh, Garfield, etc. Wow. You know, um, Seth Godin, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he says something about how um, the key to success is not necessarily marketing yourself to a mass market, you know, appealing to everyone. You should go after a very, very specific niche and dominate in that niche. And then you'll be able to sort of eventually reach world domination. And it seems to me like this is a very... <laughs> Uh, good description of what you guys did because of course nomcat got something like two million installs with no ua budget spend at all no exactly and that happened within the first week so as i said it was at a time where organic traffic was still very high on facebook so we had an agreement with all these internet cats they had to post about the game on the first day mm-hmm. and we reached around like 20 40 million people on day one that was that was crazy and that's also how apple found out about nomcat because we had such an increase in traffic on day one like out of nowhere so i mean obviously going after a very specific niche getting i guess you'd call it influencer marketing to a certain degree involved what other kind of elements contributed to the early success of non-cat um yeah as i said just just do it you know just follow your dream and just do it and i think it it all comes to execution and not giving up Mm -hmm. it sounds sort of a cliche i guess but i definitely felt almost giving up when you know those figures left the internet cats managers didn't want to talk with us but you know we wanted to start we wanted to fulfill our dreams and that meant our first game needed to be a success there was no other option at the time mm-hmm. and we were very focused we were very curious as well like how does this mobile market work how do other games monetize so we were setting the bar very high and think on a business level we were very agile very quick and after that we kept leveraging on our success mm-hmm. and were you sort of always a gamer i mean you said it was your dream and I'm, I'm actually very interested to know if you managed to create a less stressful life for yourself going after your dream than you had before because in some senses, I'm sure it was slightly more stressful. <laughs> uh, that's a good question. That's a very good question. I think it's more stressful, but it's in a way, it's a good stress, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Because once you have success, obviously, there's more things coming towards you, but also bigger challenges. And I also like failing. That's handy. Yeah, I, I just like the fact that things fail and once you achieve that little bit of success that feels so good and that keeps you going Mm -hmm. and in terms of why gaming was the dream were you always a gamer at heart yeah definitely we grew up with the super nintendo game boy nintendo and obviously when mobile came around i played uh, angry birds and doodle jump i mean i played a lot of doodle jump so we were very interested in this new form of gaming and we saw a lot of retro games as well on mobile devices and therefore we got interested to create games that we like Mm. For mobile. So let's talk a little bit about style because the majority of your portfolio does sort of draw from that pixelated 16-bit Nintendo Square style, which is, I guess, very nostalgic for a lot of people who grew up as gamers. What made you choose this specific aesthetic and why the decision to build a brand off of this style? First of all, we think the best console ever made is the Super Nintendo. And we had so much fun growing up with that console. I mean, we learned so much by playing those games in the early days. And that influenced like the way we think and the way we make our games so much that we thought, okay, this makes a lot of sense to start making those kind of games. And as you said, like this nostalgic feel, this is just a big influence. And I think a lot of people 
still have that because you see a big revamp of pixelated style games. So yeah, that's it. When you sort of were coming to build and design the game, did you have kind of ad monetization in mind? You talked about kind of looking at mobile, looking at how other mobile games were monetizing and, and marketing themselves. How did you guys approach knowing you were going to need to make revenue off this game at some point and how are you going to do that? For the first games or for a specific game? For the first game and, and onward. Yeah. So we started looking at other games and we saw that video ads were a thing that, that were coming up, especially reward video when we just started out. And we took inspiration from other games and saw that video ads is, is a good way to monetize games. And it's also an easy way to implement. And we got creative with how and where to place rewarded ads in games. And with each game we made, we learned a lot. And therefore, if you start playing our first game and you know you start downloading the second game, third game, you can see that in each game, we took our learnings from our previous mm-hmm. game. We implement that in the next game. And I think that's a very interesting way. And I sometimes still do that. Like, oh, how did we start out? And where are we now? And how much did we learn, you know? So it's also sort of quite common, certainly with sort of kind of hyper casual games and studios to be very iterative, to learn fast, to kind of continue updating on a very regular basis, just until you sort of keep perfecting both your retention and engagement mechanics and your monetization. Yeah, correct. And that's definitely interesting. Because when we started out, we actually didn't really look at retention and all those metrics. And also me, as I said, I haven't been in the games industry before. And also, not a mobile so we never really heard about retention and those kind of metrics actually we started to think about these metrics after a certain point because we were obviously talking to a lot of different industry people so how were you guys measuring success early on what was kind of success for you just by downloads and <laughs> the amount of cash we got in the company <laughs> and able and able to survive and able to do a paycheck you know mm-hmm. and I think that's also where the challenge lies for a lot of starting game studios. Like you need to make sure that you have the right people on board. You have to, you know, pay the bills, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Talking again about style, because um, non-plant, for example, is a little different with the 3D art style, um, different from the the pixelated one. Why the switch, first of all, to a different style? Was it just because it was time for something new? And was it a way to distinguish yourselves from kind of other hyper casual games that are in some ways kind of seen as a revamp of 80s arcade games? Kind of was it a move away from nostalgia? Yeah, it's it was a very very difficult decision because like uh, we have people working here and they were hired because they can make pixel art very well or they you know they love working with pixel art the developers and we made that decision because we saw when we started doing user position that it's kind of hard to do user position with a pixelated style mm. it's sort of like very niche I guess mm-hmm. I mean we never talk to people uh, like why aren't you downloading uh, pixel art from a user position ad but Hence, there was not the performance you wanted to see yeah exactly so from a performance uh, point of stand for you it's just very hard to commercialize with pixelated games and especially when the app store changed we were kind of dependent on getting features from the app store and we have a really great relationship with Apple and we had for example Tim Cook last year in the office which was wow. super awesome also not a dream come true <laughs> but still at the end of the day right you have to pay your bills and if you just only lean towards like hey this is what we want to do like this is our style we're I mean, just going to stick with this style but like in the market it just doesn't work then you have a problem right mm-hmm. we still have to pay bills and then we try to find a new style that would fit us which is 3d which is hd but still has sort of the lucky cat feel and i think that we found that in non-plant mm-hmm. 
And what's your kind of your marketing strategy today versus kind of the beginning where, as you said, you first of all were, were more reliant on being featured, but also were kind of leveraging influencers slash specific niches. Is it now more classic UA? Is it a mix of both? Kind of when you're launching a new title, how do you go about building your marketing strategy? Yeah, it's a mix of both. I think it's, for one, it's super important that the people, I mean, we make games, most games are made internally. So I think it's super important that the games we make internally, that people really love making those games. I wish, by the way, that we could still live off organic traffic, like everyone does, obviously. That changed a lot. So we do way more paid traffic than before. Like I think this year, most of the traffic comes from paid traffic this year. And we tend to try to mix both. We still pitch our games to the platforms and we still get features. And so therefore a lot of organic traffic, but being able to scale up, that means that we do need to, you know, work with the networks and do paid traffic. Mm-hmm. And how did your core audience respond to the shift in style with Nonplant? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. We were actually very afraid to show our new style to people. And, and we were very afraid that people wouldn't download the game. But we are seeing actually that no one really actually commented. People felt very organic to play this game and play our previous game. And I think it also has to do with the fact that our games are very Nintendo-like. Mm-hmm. We always think sort of like, what would Nintendo do? And you can see how Mario involved from the 80s to how it looks like now and I think the same happened to what we do then in a short time period obviously but we basically had the same trajectory yeah trajectory yeah so something else that's quite unique about you guys I feel especially today when this seems to be coming kind of rarer and rarer is that you guys are self-publishing was it an intentional decision to sort of say we want to do this on our own did it kind of just happen how did you guys decide to self-publish I think that's a bit of an inner DNA and that's probably also the entrepreneurship that we grew up with like we all always wanted to do things by ourselves. For example, my brother, he's been making games since like 12 years old. And every time we would play a game on Nintendo, he would start making it on the computer and, you know, being inspired by that. And at the same time, my perspective, like doing business, for example, before I had Lucky Cat, I was in the tea business. And before that, I was in the financial trading business. So that means we've always wanted to do things ourselves. And I think, as I said earlier, we like to have the challenge. We were not really scared of failing because that's part of, you know, being an entrepreneur. I think that's why we wanted to do publishing ourselves and we could learn so much from just, you know, doing by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what was it that allowed you, do you think, to succeed where so many indie developers actually struggle with launching a game on their own and and succeeding with it? Was it a bit of luck? Was it the strength of the indie community? Probably it's don't dwell on your failures. I think you just keep executing, just keep making sure that everything you do has to do with making a game. And when we talk to other indie developers, I'm not saying it's the wrong way, because sometimes, you know, it can be the right way, but people really dwell on ideas and, you know, they have this certain mindset they need to have, you know, they need to make a certain art style or they need to have a feature X in the game. And they dwell on this, like that thing forever and show it on different conferences, etc. But we, what we really did from the beginning is just we locked up ourselves inside and we just everything we did was just making sure we can launch the game within a couple of months and from the beginning numcat was you know from the start of the company like registering the company to launching the game that happened in three months and then the next game we also made in like four months and then the next game we made in three months so we had a very quick turnaround and i think 
that's super important. So in some ways, you could summarize that piece of advice as don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what were some of the kind of beyond your focus on kind of just keep going, keep executing, etc. What were the challenges that you faced in kind of breaking into the business and succeeding? The biggest challenge, I would say, and I think that's the case for every starting startup or beginning game studio is cash. Obviously, you need to have money to start. And I think what we had, like my brother is a great and talented uh, game developer. And we were very lucky to find an intern who could do the art and me obviously doing the business side and making sure that, you know, they could concentrate on making the game and I was organizing everything around that. So making sure you have the right people and making sure you have the cash. And obviously we had a NOMCAD as a success. So we were able to uh, fund the studio for a year. And until this day, we're still bootstrapped, by the way. So wow. we don't have any investors or just, you know, keep doing our own thing. Mm-hmm. And how do you think self-publishing has benefited Lucky Cat? I think it's definitely uh, beneficial because we know everything from A to Z. So making, we learn how to prototype to launching a game successfully. And that's also maybe, you know, where weakness can lie because you're doing so many things, but at the same time, you know what you need to do from A to Z. Do you think there are any disadvantages to self-publishing? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. It comes with so many challenges. And obviously sometimes you, you really feel like, oh, okay, you know, this is a challenge and then you try to solve it. And then there's a new problem arising like out of the challenge. And sometimes it feels like it's nonstop. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> And sometimes I wish like, oh, it would be handy sometimes if you work with, you know, with a publisher. Right. Who if someone else can take care of a couple of the things you need to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you think that there are specific types of studios or genres of games that are well suited to self-publishing versus working with a publisher? Or is it sort of more personal, maybe kind of studio culture issue more than it is kind of a genre or type of game issue? Mm, that's a very good question. Yeah, you, you could answer that in both ways. For example, we say hyper casual in terms of game development, you know, it's a good genre to self self-published because you know the scope right. of a game is, is quite small but at the same time you would say you, you really have to know the data game like how to do use acquisition and how to measure all the metrics and kpis and then the question is like do you want to as a game developer do you want to know all of that stuff mm-hmm. And if yes, then I would say yes, Hypercasual is a perfect way to do uh, self-publishing mm-hmm. as opposed to a mid-core game, which we tried as well. You know, it's so much more, uh, the scope is so much larger. You need to have so much more people. It's a bigger challenge, mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. As a player, do you have a, a preference between mid-core, hyper-casual, casual? Um, I'm definitely leaning towards hyper-casual and casual. Mm. And do you see a Lucky Cat's focus changing, you know, with the creation of Nonplant? Do you think you're going to focus more on hyper-casual games moving forward uh definitely definitely i would say we are between hyper casual and casual i'm not sure if there's a name for, <laughs> name for that semi-hyper casual semi-hyper casual uh, that's cool i would say that that's where we were at currently. Mm-hmm. And my last question about sort of hyper casual more generally. I think a lot of people, um, certainly maybe like a, a year or so ago, were fond of saying that, well, hyper casual will eventually sort of die off um, or it'll have to evolve or mature or become more complex as a type of game. What's your take on this? Do you think that's going to happen? It just hasn't happened yet. What do you think we can expect to see from the genre going forward? I think we are in the middle of it, in the evolving stage. And sometimes when you're in the middle, something you you can't really see it right yeah only when you're really outside of the bubble i think we're living in a bubble (laughs) (laughs) the hyper casual bubble Mm -hmm. Um, but i think we are in the middle of it if you play the games now compared to last year it's so much different the quality has been going up 
increasing a lot. Yeah, and then the question is, is this a casual game or is it hyper casual? It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's ever evolving and people keep experimenting and see what works, what doesn't work. Yeah, so it's, it's an evolving thing. Mm-hmm. So watch this space. <laughs> definitely, definitely. It's, it's super interesting and super fast. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. Well, that's been very interesting. Thank you so much, Haji, for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Super Mario or Sonic? Super Mario. Game Boy or Xbox? Game Boy. Hyper casual or casual? Hyper casual. Backstreet Boys or NSYNC? Backstreet Boys. (laughs) Native or interstitials? Interstitials. Suits or jeans? Jeans. Shower or bath? Shower. (laughs) 